Dear friend, you can grow your personal and business brand by creating a strong network through podcasting. Create real human connections, have the ability to share your story and interesting point of view. To get started, you can make use of the special offer for friends of this podcast, which is on kitcaster.com slash mirror. K-I-T-C-A-S-T-E-R dot C-O-M slash M-I-R. R-R-O-R. The link and further instruction or details will be found in the show notes for this episode. Thank you. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you listen to this on. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Mirror Talk Podcast. Your moment of greatness starts now. The breakthrough story of today's guest will encourage anyone who is determined and or struggling to become a better person. His story will motivate and inspire anyone who is at rock bottom and is striving to become successful. Our guest is an investor, a property manager, a speaker, and a mentor. How are you doing, Mark? Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Toby. Everything is uh it's a wonderful day. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today on this Mirror Talk podcast episode. Um, I was going through your bio a little bit and I was so encouraged and motivated by the journey you've gone through so far and for your success that you are enjoying right now. But at the age of 12, um, you were um, an active addict. You were in and out of jail, rehab, and you spent a large part or a large period of your life living on the streets. So let us start with the addiction. What were you addicted to and how were you able to overcome these addictions? I grew up in Baltimore City and I started smoking pot when I was around 12 years old. I started smoking pot and cigarettes when I was around 12. And around the age of 13, I started drinking uh, alcohol. Age of 14, started doing some harder drugs like, you know, different types of pills that were common back then, like Quaaludes and Valiums and, uh, I guess around the age of 15, I was eating acid or LSD and uh, mushrooms. I guess by the time I was around the age of 17 is the first time I ever did cocaine. And up until that time, I was actually like afraid of needles. Like if I went to the doctor, it's like, you know, and I had to give blood or something or get a vaccination. I would close my eyes and turn in my head, like didn't like it at all. Mm. And then when I was 17 years old, a friend of mine, his brother was shooting cocaine in in the house that I was in and I, I saw it and uh you know I said man how much is that like what is it he's like that's coke it's 25 bucks it's like do you have some more and I had 25 dollars on me and I tried it and that was a life-changing event in a negative way mm-hmm. um, a few months later I guess I might have just turned 18 I started uh doing heroin and from the age of seven, you know, maybe 17 or 18 to 24, I was hardcore drugs, you know, everything that that involved, whether it was um, robbing stores, I robbed a bank in Philly, stole a bunch of cars, um, in and out of rehabs. Then I probably got locked up 15 or 20 times before my last time I got locked up, uh, spent I don't know, did 10 months in prison in Maryland, 60 days in jail in Florida, 60 days in jail in Pennsylvania. And uh, 
you know, lived in, you know, staying sometimes in like abandoned houses or sleeping under bridges and eating, you know, getting my lunch or dinner from a homeless shelter or a church. And that, you know, that went on from, I guess, like 18 to 24. And there were a couple of periods where I like managed to get myself together for a couple of months and actually worked for a couple of months. But uh, it was never, I was never able to sustain that because of the addiction, like, no matter what. And I tried, like I'd been to rehabs, I'd been to churches, I tried different girlfriends, I moved to different states and mm-hmm. nothing, nothing worked. And I, you know, I've been to AA, NA, like all that. And yeah. uh, the last time I got arrested was in September, 1989. I think I was 24. And I had a warrant for my arrest for a bank robbery. And I robbed a couple of dozen stores in the Baltimore area. And I got caught in a stolen car with a bank bag underneath the front seat and they knew it's like, all right, this, you know, they, you know, there's actually the BB gun. It wasn't even a real gun. If it was a real gun. I would have sold it. So I got the BB gun, a bank bag, drugs, you know, they knew I was up to something. And I just decided, look, I'm going to admit to everything. The feds were already looking for me for the bank. And uh, I had violated my probation. I mean, I knew I was going to jail for years and I thought that I'm going to go ahead and just sit down and tell them everything that I've done that I can remember because I didn't want to go to prison. And then after two or three or four years, get what's called a detainer code on me where they say, hey, we found out this other bad thing you did. I just wanted to get it all out, do my time without having to worry about these other things catching up to me later on down the road. So I admitted to everything, uh, went to Baltimore County Detention Center. And I was in there maybe... Uh, three, four weeks. I think I got locked up September 9th. And on October 2nd of 1989, I attempted to escape from the Baltimore County Detention Center. And fortunately, I didn't. I was almost got out of the building. I There was a piece of steel, like in the in the cells, there are bunk beds. And between the bunk beds, there's like a piece of steel that holds them so the one on top doesn't fall on the one on the bottom. And I managed to break one of those off. And it was like a four foot long piece of steel. And uh, with that, I was able to get this heavy-duty mesh screen off the window. And then behind that, there was a cast iron, like a grate, like with a diamond-shaped pattern. And I managed to get a, try a hole in that that was large enough for me and most of the other people on that pod to get through. And the only thing between me and the street was a piece of plexiglass about a half-inch thick. And we were actually trying to pry that open when the correctional officers ran to my cell and called us. So we, another five or 10 minutes maybe, we'd have been out and the, it was only a 10 foot drop to the ground and there were no fences around the place. So we were, you know, as far as they thought it was escape proof, but, and for us, I guess it was, but we were, we were almost there. So I spent six months on lockup uh, for this attempt at escape while I was waiting to go to trial for these different offenses that I had in, I think had the federal charge at another, state robbery in Pennsylvania, and I had robberies in four jurisdictions in Maryland. And so I was waiting to get a court for all these. And, you know, I just, I wanted to change, but I didn't know how to do it. Like I tried everything and nothing worked. And I, I knew in my heart that there was something out there. Like there's some way, it's kind of like trying to pick a lock. Like I just, I know this lock's going to open, but I just haven't figured out how to do it yet. And I just got to keep trying. And eventually I'll, you know, hopefully I'll figure it out before I'm dead. And, uh, so when I was on lockup, my attorney came to see me for a meeting about our 
trials coming up. Mm-hmm. And he said some things that kind of changed the way I was looking at things. He looked at me and he said, in so many words, he said, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, can't you stay out of, tra- you know, out of trouble in jail? You're already locked up. Can't you stay out of trouble in jail? He said, and then he said, you know, if you play your cards right, you can be home by the time you're 30 years old and you'll be young enough to start a whole new life. And after that meeting, like I went back to my cell and I mean, I really thought about that. Like, man, I could be home by the time I'm 30. I could change my life. I could have a good life. And uh, and he gave me hope, which is something that I hadn't had for a long time. He, he kind of gave me some hope. And so the question is still, okay, well, how am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not really sure. It's like I've tried all these other things. And I know I've you know, been a failure for the last you know, 10 years. I screwed up everything in my life. I get kicked out of high school, arrested you know, literally dozens of times, uh, screwed over my family, my friends, like everything. And so I got off a lockup and I went to a regular pod, which is like a tier or pod. And there was, I'd been at a lockup for a few days and there was a book laying on a table and it said, you can, if you think you can. Hmm. So I picked it up and looked at it and it was, you know, it was, the author's name was Norman Vincent Peale. And as I came to find out later, he wrote another well-known book called The Power of Positive Thinking. So I picked this book up and I'm, you know, looking at the back and reading it. And it's like, you know, you can change your life, you can do whatever you want. And I thought, all right, well, I'm going to read this. I mean, I got plenty of time. I'm in jail. I got nothing else to do. I'm going to read this book. Halfway through the book, something inside of my brain changed. And it was instant. I became a different person. And what it was, was this book, it made me believe in myself that I was capable of doing whatever I wanted to do. I was capable of doing it. I was able to. I just had to make the choice. And that was radically different from what myself, you know, when I thought of myself before that, you know, I thought of all the bad things I'd ever done. I didn't think of any of the good stuff. I just thought, you know, I'm just a, like a loser. I'm just a failure. And it's kind of hard to win when your mindset is that you're a failure. And so what I did was I said, okay. And I, I sat down in my cell and I still, I remember this like it happened yesterday. And I thought, well, what was I like before the drugs? Because the drugs are what screwed everything up. Like what, who was I before that? Cause I really, at this point, I don't even know who I am. All that I know is I like to drink. I like to get high. I like to chase girls. It's all I know. And so I thought, who was I? So I thought, well, who were you when you were 11 years old? What were you like when you were 11? And I thought, okay, when I was 11, I was good. I was nice. Uh, People liked me. I liked people. I was respectful of, you know, my elders and, and, you know, everybody. And I was good in school. I mean, I was like a boy in school, but I'm like, I never got in any serious trouble or anything. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's who you are. Like that person, that's who you really are. The drugs changed you to something else, but you're that nice person. So then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write down every good thing that I can think of that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I actually quit smoking cigarettes in the middle of that book. That was when I changed. I said, you know what? I'm done. And you could smoke in jail back then. And uh, I quit. I handed my half pack of cigarettes to this guy named Frank. I said, Frank, here, take these. And he thought I was nuts. I'm like, I'm done. I 
and I wanted to prove to myself that I could take control of my life, that I'm, I'm the master of my fate. And, uh, and that was my proof to myself that I was serious. <clears throat> so I sat down and I wrote a list of all of the good things that I could think of that I've ever done. It wasn't a long list and it wasn't like Mother Teresa stuff. It was stuff like the first thing was I quit smoking cigarettes. And then it was little stuff like, you know, I planted a tree in the backyard. I took care of some stray animal till we could get him to the SPCA. I, you know, stopped on the beltway to help this lady that I didn't even know change her tire because she had a flat tire. So I just wrote those things down. And what I did was I changed my focus. Instead of thinking of Mark Owens, you know, the loser, the bad guy, the guy that screws up everything, I thought of Mark Owens the guy that stops to help people on the highway, change their tires, the guy that plants trees, the guy that helps animals, the guy that's respectful and holds the doors for people when they're coming into the building. Mm -hmm. I started to change my focus to that person. And it changed, it just changed everything. Because, I mean, you can imagine this, like if you're, you know, not that hopefully this never happens to us, but if you're going to go get in a fight with somebody or you're a boxer and you're about to get in the ring, yeah. if you get in that ring... And you're thinking, man, that guy's going to kick my ass. You're already done. Mm -hmm. You have to go in there thinking you're going to take that guy's head off. I don't care how big he is, how tough he is. You have to think that. You still might get your ass kicked. Mm -hmm. But the chances of winning that fight are significantly greater if you go in with the attitude that you're going you're gonna to kill this guy. That, yeah. And so I wanted to change my attitude to that. Like, I'm going to do good. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to be nice to people. I'm going to help people. Mm. And and once I changed that, it, it my life became like the, you know, people call it a snowball rolling down the hill where the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what happened. Like the good things that began to happen in my life as a result of changing my focus mm. continue even to this day. And I, I mean, I can document. I mean, I can tell you exactly what happened. But my life today is you. I would have never believed it 30 years ago. Nobody would have believed it where yeah. I'm at today. And uh, it was all because I changed the way I looked at myself. And instead of seeing myself as a failure, I saw myself as someone that could do whatever I want to do. And just that thought process changed everything. Yes, that, that's, really, that's really great, actually. Like having a positive mindset and, uh, and being, determined, being determined to change your life helped you to, you know, change the course of being a bad person, as you said, to becoming who you are today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that, that was all of it. And, uh, so what, what happened? Like I was locked up for about four years and nine months and I decided that, okay, I'm going to have to do this time, but that doesn't mean I have to waste this time. I wasted the last 10 years of my life. Mm -hmm. I can spend this time in prison and improve myself and, and make myself better. And so that when I get out, I'm in a better position. I don't want to just sit in here and play spades and lift weights and watch TV. I, I went to college. I got a two-year degree in business in prison. I got a six-month construction course that I took. Uh, I, I didn't get high. I mean, I stayed away from all that stuff. And there's, man, there are plenty of drugs in jail. I mean, it, there's like, you can get anything in jail mm -hmm. other than women. But if you want to get coke, heroin, like it's there. And uh, sometimes it's, they come knocking on your door, asking, got boy, girl, you know, it's like, I'm cool, man. I'm good. Yeah. And uh, so it's, you know, at home, you got to get looking for the drugs. In prison, they bring it to you. 
And <laughs> so, but I got through all that. I stayed away from the knuckleheads, you know, and it's like that on the street. It's like, if you want to, like, I'm in the real estate business. If you want to do real estate, start hanging out with people doing real estate. Yeah. Don't hang out with people selling shoes. You know, they might have a successful business, but you're not a shoe guy. You're a real estate guy or, or lady. So hang out with people that are doing what you want to do. So even in prison, I was able to just sit back and observe people. Yeah. You see guys talking about when they get home, they're going to keep slinging dope, keep, you know, doing the stuff that they were doing that got them in there in the first place. And then there's the group of people that are like, man, I, you know, when I get home, I'm going to finish college and I'm going to, you know, try to get my wife back and my kids and, you know, like, like, and then there's that group of people that yes. are thinking like when they get home, they want to improve their lives. And that's, that was my crew. I mean, the people that were thinking when they get home, they're going to have a better life, not maintain the same crap that got them there to begin with. Yeah. And so even, even in the, in the worst environment where, you know, that my first summer in the prison, like people got stabbed every single day. And uh, there was a riot my first year there. The cops shot six inmates. I made it through all that because I stuck I stuck with the people that were decent. I mean, there's a lot of decent people in prison. Some people have circumstances that, you know, I mean, maybe you caught your wife with another guy and you beat the guy and put him in a coma and now you're in prison. It's not that you're a bad guy, but you were put in a, a situation where you weren't maybe able to control your temper and you did something that you shouldn't have done. Mm. It doesn't mean you're like a bad person. It just means you made a bad mistake. And uh, so I just, I, I stayed with those people and I just kept working with myself. And, and of course, and this is the snowball getting bigger and bigger. You know, my first little list of the good things I did was like I quit smoking, you know, help, held a door open for some people at the grocery store, like just real minor stuff. Yeah. But then my list started growing like, man, I got my two-year degree in college. And I just ran a mile in six minutes or seven minutes in the yard. And I just, you know, I did 110 push-ups for the first time and just whatever, just anything that made me feel good about myself, I continued to write that down. And this, and this is like one of these things that happened that is kind of, how do I put this? It's not easy to duplicate for people, but it's part of my story and what brought me to where I'm at today. In high school, I had a girlfriend named Lisa that I was in love with. And Lisa was, didn't do drugs. I knew she was going to college. She was good. When I was in high school, I was out breaking into houses. I was cutting classes and going and breaking into houses and literally stealing cars. Uh, and so I ended up breaking up with her because I didn't want to drag her down with me. And it's like, I know where I'm going. I know that, you know, in the next few years, I'm either going to be dead or in jail. And she's going to be in college. So we broke up. I felt horrible about it because I did love her. And I, I, even at that age, I was, I was in love with her. And I, I never got over it. And when I got locked up, when I was 24 years old, I actually wrote her a letter. In fact, you know, there's no email or nothing. This is like 1989 and I'm in jail. And uh, I wrote her a letter and, and just said, listen, here's how my life turned out. You know, I'm in jail. Got a couple dozen armed robberies. And uh going to prison. I hope things are well with you. And she wrote me back and said, you know, she's, you know, finished college. She's got a great job. She's got an apartment. Like, you know, everything's going well. And a boyfriend. So I, I thought, okay, well, I'm like, I'm really happy for her. And I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, things turned out okay. And that, you know, she's living a good life. Mm -hmm. 
And so a few years later, I was about to go up for parole. And my life had turned around. Even though I was in prison, I was happier than I'd ever been in my life because I had changed my life. It, it, the prison is on the inside. It's not the outside. And you could be living in the street and be in prison because you just feel like you're, you're hopeless. You have nowhere to turn, nowhere to go. That's To me, that's prison. And for me in prison, I just had nothing but hope. Like, I know I'm going to have a great life when I get out of here. and I'm setting everything up so that when I get out, I'm going to dramatically increase my chances of success. And uh, so as I was about to go up for a parole, I wrote her another letter. And I still remember, like, I still remember her house address from when we were kids. And I wrote her and told her, you know, hey, I'm getting ready to go up for parole, got my two-year college degree, you know, like all this, <laughs> you know, just yeah. trying to like really shine, you know, I really want to make myself, you know, I was proud of myself. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, like, you know, in my adult life, I was really proud of myself. So she wrote me back and she said, that's great. I'm glad things are going well. Don't write me anymore. So, you know, I was, I was, I wasn't happy about that, but I mean, I could understand her position. Like, she's doing great, you know, and I'm, like, in prison. Like, why would she want to have anything to do with me? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to write her one more letter. I got plenty of time. I'm in jail. I can write a really nice letter. And you know, it took me three days to write the damn thing. Just to word it, you know, just write. And what I wanted to do was tell her what really happened, like why I broke up with her how terrible I felt about it. And then I'm sorry for hurting her. So if that's the stuff, like I never had the balls to tell her in the past. You know, I was always looking for the weak way, the easy way out. You know, I, I, I lied and said, I've heard you've been cheating on me. I knew she wasn't cheating on me. That's the excuse I used to break up with her. And I wanted to let her know the real truth was that I was a bum. And I knew I was going to jail and she was doing good. And I didn't want her to, to be there with me when it happened. And a couple weeks later, she wrote me back and said, well, you know, I guess we can continue writing each other. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we continued our correspondence and then, you know, I ended up, I ended up making parole and, a, you know, a few weeks before I got out, she started coming up to see me and I got out and, you know, a couple of weeks later we were living together and I got a job making, I was, this was like 1994. I was making $6 an hour working in a factory. And uh, there's some other stuff I want to talk about that was prison stuff that I think just goes to show that it doesn't matter where you are physically. It's what's going on inside your head. So I was reading, I was reading a lot in prison and I think I read a book called, it was like the millionaire next door or the millionaire barber or something like that. I read one of those books and, uh, and I thought, you know, man, credit is really important. Like, I don't have any credit. If I do, it's bad credit, but it's important. So is there any way I can build up any credit while I'm in prison? So I thought it through and I said, all right, well, the first thing you got to do is get a bank account. So I, I sent my grandmother, I actually saved money, get paid when you're in prison and people, you know, your family sends you money. And I just kept saving it and saving it. And, uh, I sent my grandmother a money order for $500 and asked her to open up a bank account for me with a local, it's called Provident Bank in Baltimore. I asked her to open up an account for me at this local bank. So she opened it up. It was in my name. Then a couple months later, <clears throat> I wrote to the bank and I said, I want to make 
a $500 loan, a secured loan, where you can keep my money in the account, you lend me $500 and I start making payments on it. And they agreed to it. So I'm in prison. I got a bank account. I got a loan from a bank. Every month I'm mailing them on the order to make the payments on the loan. And then when I got out of prison, I went and paid the loan off. I started establishing credit before I even got out of prison. Mm-hmm. So, so the stuff is possible, but you have to take action. You know, it's like it's one thing to just say, oh, it sure would be nice if I have credit. Yeah, it would be nice, but you have to, you can't just wish it into mm-hmm. existence. You have to take action. Action is over there. And so I, I took the actions. And so I got out of prison, uh, got a job making six bucks an hour in a factory. And then I'll just give the short story for this. I went from there to, I started going to University of Maryland and majoring in biochemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up getting a job as a lab technician, got laid off, got a job at another place that they, they were laying everybody off. And then I switched majors to IT. Talked to some friends that said, man, don't get a degree in IT. You can, you'll get a four-year degree and you won't even know how to hook up a printer. So they told me to get these Microsoft certifications. So I started doing that. And uh, six months later, I got my first computer job. I think I was making 15 bucks an hour working on a help desk. Three years, maybe three and a half years later, I was making $100 an hour teaching those classes in colleges all over Maryland and Pennsylvania. And uh, at the time, it was called a Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer. And those classes were expensive, and I got paid 100 bucks to teach them, $100 an hour to teach them. If I taught A+, which was computer repair, that was about 50 bucks an hour that I got paid for that. So between the two, I was making between $130,000 and $150,000 a year. Like I've been out of prison five or six years, and that's how much money I was making. And with my the way that I was like being homeless, being on the street, not knowing, you know, being a thousand miles from home with nothing to eat and nowhere to go. And the only thing I had was a clothes on my back. Like I was very like, if when I got money, like I wanted to hold on to it because you know, if it's gone, like, I don't want to get back to that. Like I just had this fear, like, man, I don't want to be in the street. And um, so I just kept thinking long-term, you know, like guys, when you start making money, you want to get by a, a seven series BMW. Right. Or you want to go buy a Tesla. You want to go spend a bunch of money, get a nice car. I didn't do that. I was like, man, I don't, you know, I want to keep money in the bank. You know, I can just go get a, you know, a Toyota Civic or Honda Civic. And uh, that'll get me where I want to go. And I'm not going to have a big payment. I'm not going to impress anybody, but I feel good about myself. I don't need to impress other people. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, I just kept saving my money. And eventually, you know, I ended up buying, rental properties mm-hmm. and I just kept buying rental properties and eventually I had enough rental properties where I could quit the computer job. And that's, I bought my first rental property in 2002. And as of today, I own about a hundred rental units. And that mm-hmm. was, it all started in 2002, like seven years out of prison, I bought my first three unit property. So that that's like, the, it's a very short version of that part of my life, but at least I wanted to kind of give like a I don't know, like a bigger overview, the kind of a timeline of how things worked out. Yes, and that, that's that's really amazing because um, you summarize like thirty-one years of your life from leaving prison to being a multimillionaire in um, properties. As in, you you've really done amazingly well for yourself, just having a positive mindset and being determined, being uh, intentional about your progress in life, which is which is actually very great. No, I have I have a question. Um, I have a question there. After the moment you said. 
now I'm coming clean. Now I'm going to be clean. No more smoking. No more drugs for me. Uh, were there points in your life where you had like relapses, relapses or um, temptations to, you know, maybe smoke a joint or maybe, you know, just um, get injected with heroin or something like that? Yeah, you know, it's, I'm glad you asked that question. I can, uh, and when I say this, this is, I'm being as honest as I can possibly be. Mm-hmm. I have never had the urge to drink or do drugs since I made that decision. It was like either it was either April 20th or 22nd, 1990 in jail. Mm-hmm. When I made that decision, it up until that point, when when I was going to AA and NA and the rehabs, it was, you know, one day at a time. And, you know, like, man, I, you know, damn, I really want to get high. Like, man, I'm, I'm not going to get high today. I mean, it's, you know, I'll maybe tomorrow, but not today. It was like a struggle. Like it was always like, you know, this fighting, this urge. But once halfway through this book, something inside my brain changed where I looked at everything different. And I was like, I don't have to do drugs. That's a choice. I know I don't have to do them and I'm not going to do them because I love my life and I want to be a good person and make my family proud of me. Like that's who I am and that's who I want to be. I want to be that 11 year old kid. I want to be that person. I don't want to be the junkie. I don't want to be the thief. I want to be that 11 year old kid. Mm. And that's who I really am. And once I believed in myself, there was never an urge to get higher drink again. I was just like, when people ask me, you know, are you a recovering drug addict or a recovering alcoholic? I'm not recovering. I'm an ex. I don't do it. Mm. It's like, that's not who I am. Mm. And you know, I'll go out with some friends and they'll say, man, you want a beer? And I'm like, man, I don't drink. Mm. They're like, you don't drink? I'm like, say, nah, I like it too much. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> like, you know, so I'd like, you know, I don't drink. And and they're cool with it. You know, now they know, like everybody knows because I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. But, you know, for years it was, those were tough conversations, but I never, I never, I haven't wanted to do it. I, it's just uh, once I made that change in my head, mm-hmm. I haven't had any urges at all. Elia, you said, um, you know, at the age of 11, you were a good boy, like very um, obedient and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, at the age of 12, you are, you are smoking and, you know, um, robbing. So what caused that switch? Was it like um, bad influence or is it from the environment or is it what, what caused this switch from a good boy to a bad boy? I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's the environment because one of the things one of the things that I think has made it possible for me to do what I've done mm-hmm. is I accept 100% of the responsibility for where I am in my life. Mm-hmm. 100%. So I don't want to blame the environment. I don't want to blame my friends. I could have said no. Mm-hmm. But I chose to say, "Yeah, I'll try it." That was my choice. And so that is my responsibility. I'm responsible for my choices. In my neighborhood where I grew up in the city, most of the kids that were 12 years old that I was hanging out with were smoking pot. I wanted to fit in. You know, it's like, man, these guys are getting high. I want them to like me. If they're getting high, I'll get high. You know, and, and I think that was some of it, just feeling, you know, inadequate. You know, um, you just wanted to be, you know, these are kids that I knew since I was like four years old. I want to fit in. I mean, these, I've known them my whole life. If they're doing it and they're having fun, then I'll do it and I'll have fun. And yeah. that's how it started. Uh, it was in my environment, but there were also kids in my neighborhood that didn't do drugs. Mm-hmm. And they had in the same environment that I did. So there's a choice. It was a difference in choice. And you could go to, to 
the hood of any big city in the United States. Mm-hmm. And on the same street, you'll find kids slinging drugs at the age of 15. And you'll find 15-year-old kids that are looking through college catalogs trying to figure out where they want to go to school. Mm-hmm. Both in the same street, sometimes maybe even the same mom or dad. Mm-hmm. But radically different lives based on the choices that they make. Now, uh, your family and friends can help to influence those choices. Mm-hmm. If you've got a family that doesn't value education, that doesn't value being independent, then unfortunately, you may make decisions that take you to the same place. Mm-hmm. But if you see that it, your life does not have to be like that, that everybody's not selling drugs, everybody's not in and out of jail. Like there are some guys that are, you know, that are successful and get out of the neighborhood and, and have a wonderful, amazing life. Like you can make those decisions too. And, and I'll give you the greatest example of that. And, the, and this is like, this is something that's like a current event. People are talking about $15 an hour minimum wage. And my question is, okay, if you, if you work at McDonald's and there's nothing wrong with working at McDonald's, I think any work that people do that's, you know, where you're not breaking the law, it's honorable, decent work. And you should be proud of yourself that you're, that you're doing it. But think about this. If you start at McDonald's, you're going to be making maybe $8 an hour. If you stay at McDonald's for five years, you might be making $9 per hour. If instead of taking that job, you get a job as maybe a a plumber's helper Mm -hmm. or an electrician's helper, you're going to start at $8 an hour. And in five years, you're going to be making maybe $25 an hour. Even more, if you do side jobs, you go over to your neighbor's house and hang a ceiling fan, you get paid 75 bucks and it took you 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So two kids, one chooses McDonald's, the other kid chooses a trade. Five years later, you see the results. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of these kids that make the bad choices, now they want the whole world to change. Well, we should be making $15 an hour. No, no, you shouldn't be making $15 an hour. Because then the people that make 15 are going to want to make 20 and the people that make 20 are going to make 25. Mm-hmm. And the cost of a Big Mac and fries isn't going to be eight bucks. It's going to be 12 bucks. And who's going to buy a Big Mac for 12 bucks? You know, so it's like, so instead of expecting the whole world to change for you, you need to find a path that you can navigate through the world to change yourself in your own circumstances. And so many people lose sight of that. I'm 100% responsible. Something bad happens today. It's my responsibility. And, and maybe I didn't choose to get rear-ended at the red light, but I choose how I'm going to respond to that. Did I, is my insurance paid up? Did I have my seatbelt on? You know, it's like you have to take care of those responsibilities. You can't control everything that happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. And you can prepare yourself for when those things happen. And, yes. uh, and I think a lot of people unfortunately miss that, but, for all of the successful people that I know, and I know people that are incredibly successful and they all have the same mindset. They accept responsibility for where they're at. If they make a bad investment decision, they don't blame their stockbroker or their real estate agent. They're, the buck stops with them. It's their own fault. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what gives you the ability to change your circumstances when you accept responsibility for them. Yes. That, that's one of the things I'm actually also learning. Like Life is about the decisions and the you know, choices that we make. And also taking responsibilities for our actions. That's what life is generally about. Well, it's huge. I mean, that's, that's everything because 
And the, all the little decisions matter. Like if you think about this, if you think, okay, I'm going to go get a, a Big Mac and a large order of fries and a Coke and a whatever, a hot apple pie or whatever their dessert is. Is that going to kill you? Nah. But what if you make two or three decisions like that every day? In 10 years, you're going to weigh 300 pounds. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're going to be on blood pressure medication. You're going to be on cholesterol medication. You're not going to be able to tie your shoes because your stomach gets in the way. Mm. It's like those little decisions all add up to big outcomes. And it sometimes it takes years to happen, but it's like planting a tree. You know, you can plant a tree and it just grows a little bit every year, but eventually that tree is going to be producing fruit that can feed your family. Yes. And all those little decisions that we make every day add up to big results. It could be bad results, it could be fantastic results, but the choice is something that we have to make every day. Mm. Yeah, that's that's very correct. That's very good. Yeah. Um, so coming out of coming out of jail, when you you know got out of jail at the end, um, how was your self esteem like? Was it high or were you on the zero <laughs> on the zero ground of self esteem? You know, that is a great question. And I, I've actually just began to think about this the past year or two. I talked to my wife about it. Uh, when I was in prison, like before I got out, you, if you think about this, like when you're in high school, if you go into high school and you're in the ninth grade, mm-hmm. you're like at the bottom of the food chain. But when you're a senior in high school, like you're the, you know, you're the hot shot. Yes. In prison, I was like the hot shot, you know, like and I got my degree. I'm doing, you know, good. I actually already had my factory job lined up before I even got out of prison. They, they put you on a, on a truck with a driver or drop stuff off. I got paid three bucks a day. And one of the places we went was a factory in Baltimore City where they made office for it. And I'd been there a few times and I asked the owner, I said, listen, I'm going to be, you know, getting out of prison in a couple months. I mean, you know, I'm in prison, but I like, I'm really going to need a job. I would love to work here. Would you consider hiring me? And he said, man, come see me the day you get out. Mm-hmm. I went and saw him. It was a day or day after I got out and he gave me a job. And it was just, it was taking action. Uh, and I wasn't above that. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't want to do that now, but I would if I needed to, to feed my family. And uh, it was just looking for opportunities and taking advantage of it. You can imagine, like if you're in the ninth grade, you're the little fish. When you're in the 12th grade, you're the big fish. Mm-hmm. You're the big fish. And then you get to college and all of a sudden you're the little fish again, <laughs> you know, cause you're like first year college. When, when I was in prison, I felt like a big fish, but when I got out, I felt like a real little fish because I was almost 30 years old and all of the peers that I had that weren't in the drug lifestyle, they, you know, they had houses, they were married, they had careers, uh, they, you know, had college degrees, like, you know, they were going on vacations. I had a bag with my clothes in it and $500 in the bank. Like that's all I had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I felt very uncomfortable with people when I was around other people that were, you know, between like the age of 25 and 40 or actually 25 and up that were living a normal life. I felt very uncomfortable because I felt really inadequate about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm so far behind and I have nothing and I don't want to talk about my past. And right now I'm just making $6 an hour in a factory. It's like, you know, meanwhile, you know, my friend is, you know, driving a truck making $25 an hour and I make $6 an hour in a factory. So I felt very inadequate, but I knew that this is just temporary. Mm -hmm. 
and I need to, and the way that I thought about it was like, I need to catch up, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm behind, you know, like 10 years behind and I need to catch up. And the way that I did that was first off, I worked my ass off and then I was very financially, I was very disciplined where instead of going out and, and spending any money that I had, I just kept saving and saving. I was very disciplined. And I kept thinking, even uh, do it today, like I think long term, like I'm not thinking, okay, I got an extra thousand bucks, man, what can I go buy? I'm thinking, okay, I got an extra thousand bucks. What debt can I pay off? What property can I invest in? Like, how mm-hmm. can I get the most bang for this money? Because the truth is, you can go buy something and it makes you happy, but it's only temporary. Yeah. Yeah. And we've all experienced that. I've done it. You go buy a new car, you go buy a new pair of shoes, you go buy a new watch. And you feel great for a few days, but, you know, eventually in another week or two or three, mm-hmm. you're not going to feel any better than you bought, bef- than you felt before you bought it. And you're going to have that much less money in your pocket. So mm-hmm. I just kept thinking long term, what was best for me. And eventually after maybe 10 years out, I started to pass most of those people mm-hmm. because of my work ethic and my discipline. I started mm-hmm. to and now I've passed like... 95% of them, like not even close or, you know, it's just as far as like the financial stuff, they're not even close mm-hmm. and the freedom, you know, I work two hours a day typically. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, the real estate thing, that's something I could talk about for <laughs> another hour, but yeah. it works. You know, if you, if people watch those late night TV commercials and they see stuff like, you know, buy houses with no money out of your pocket and all like that's all true. Like I do it. Like I've bought most of the buildings I own from single family homes to the biggest building I have is 18 apartments. I didn't all those with no money out of my pocket. It's just getting the knowledge and how to do it. Um, some of the other important parts are your reputation and network. Like you want to have as many people know you as you can mm-hmm. and you want to have a great reputation. So when your name comes up in a conversation they're saying, man, that Toby, he's a really, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's really nice. He's really nice to people and he's really successful. Like that's what you want people to be saying when you're not around. Mm. Because when that happens, then somebody might say, man, this guy would be like, man, I wish this guy would do a podcast. He's really got an amazing story. Hey, call Toby, man. He does podcasts, mm. you know, and then, and then you get like an amazing person on your show that can potentially help thousands of people. I mean, it's, people know you and then they bring you that stuff. And uh, so the networking stuff and having a great reputation are huge. I don't care what business you're in. Those things are are underrated. And to me, they're very important. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's really awesome because it's very motivating also to see how you came out, you know, from being at the, you know, at the lower level with very low self-esteem to becoming someone who has high self-esteem to, you know, even make networks to, you know, connect with people and, to become successful in your um, real estate business, actually. So I, I did like, I did like um, you know, for a young person like me or young people out there that are listening, I did like tips or like, you know, advice that you could give to people to say, okay, you, you have a business in mind. Um, this is what you should do to become successful in that business. Man, I would love to talk about that. Here's, this is, these are my thoughts. First off, try to identify somebody that's already doing what you want to do, whether it's they own a corner store, they own a McDonald's, they own a car wash, they're a, they have a, they're a dentist, no matter what it is, whether it's you want to own a business or you want to be the best plumber in the world, find somebody else that's already doing it 
and ask him out to lunch. Ask him if you can get to lunch with him. Say, I want to, you know, I really want to hear your story. I'm really interested in it. I, you know, it's like, I think what you're doing is great. I'd like to hear how you did it and start networking with people. And the more people that you have lunch with the winners, the people that are like the winners, winners aren't defined by how much money you have. It's not what you have on the outside. It's who you are on the inside. And the winners want to see you win. They want to see you do well. The losers don't. You could have a billion dollars. And if you want to, and you don't want to see other people succeed, you're a loser. I don't care how much money we got. So the winners are going to want to get out to lunch with you and share their experience and hopefully see you grow and and develop and do an amazing person. The winners want to see that happen. Mm -hmm. And it's flattering, honestly, like if somebody asks me out to lunch or something, you know, or asks me to be on a podcast, to me, it's like there's, that's a great compliment that somebody wants that values my experience where they want to spend their time talking to me. That's a huge compliment. And, uh, and if I get the opportunity to say something that could make a positive impact in their life, then it's well worth my time. And so my advice to younger people uh, or older people is find people that are already doing what you want to do. Ask them out to lunch, look for meetups, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever the business is for real estate, it's easy for me. I just, you know, go to meetup.com and look for real estate meetups or real estate investor association meetings and start going to them and start talking to people. And, and the more people that, you know, the more opportunities that are going to come your way, whether it's doing a deal or helping somebody and the more people that are going to come your way that are going to help you when you need it. And so the, the networking and, protecting your reputation, I think, are the most valuable parts of any business. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. So if, if I could take it a little bit personal, now you are a married man at the age of 55, um, successful, a multimillionaire with your businesses, uh, with your business and, you know, you're a speaker also, you're a mentor. And how, how do you like, um, you know, combine all of this together, you know, with, um, you know, with your general daily activities? How do you, are they like time management skills or things that you do to ensure everything is working and running? You know, for my real estate business, I manage all my properties myself. Uh, but I have a bunch of systems in place. Like if, if right now, if somebody called me up and said, hey, you know, my heat isn't working. I call the heat guy that comes and fixes the heat. Mm. If somebody calls up and says the roof is leaking, I call the guy that fixes roofs to get fixed the roof. Uh, I can do that from a beach in Florida. I don't have to be home to do that. And so most of my business is like that. Most of my bills are on auto pay. We are paid automatically. Everything that can be is. Uh, so automation and delegation for me were the keys to creating freedom where I can make a lot of money, but not have to like work so hard for the money. Uh, the, you know, I speak at different events. You know, the COVID is obviously like ended that, but you know, I just, I do that whenever I'm invited, you know, because for me, it's an opportunity to give back to people and, and potentially, you know, I got two calls last week on the same day from people that had heard me speak and like, it made a big difference in their lives. And that like makes my day when I hear something like that, I actually called my wife and told her it made me so happy to know that I was able to like help somebody. It just, it, it made me so happy. And so, you know, I do that whenever I'm invited stuff like this, it's the same thing. It's like, why wouldn't I do this? I can take an hour out of my day and potentially make a difference in somebody's life 2,000 miles away that I'll never meet. But just knowing that maybe I can make a positive impact on somebody like that makes this well worth my time. Yes. Uh, the, and again, it's because the winners want to see you win. I want to see everybody do well. I, there's no 
advantage to me when if other people do bad. Like I want everybody to do good because it makes the whole world better. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think those are some of the things for me that are like the most important. important. You know, there, there's a lot, but that those are some of the stuff. The reputation, networking is huge. Yes, yes, that, that's that's good. So um, if you could, you know, reflect back a little bit, and um, if your thirty-year-old self is sitting right beside you, what's what's be like five things you would tell him to do or not to do, or you know, to avoid or not to avoid to become so, to become much more happy, or I don't know, much more successful, or to just tell him, oh, everything will be fine, just don't worry about this, don't worry about that. I would say that. Uh... If I could go back to my 30-year-old self, mm-hmm. the, the only thing that I would say is your life is going to be better than your wildest dreams. Like you're going to have ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You know, things aren't always going to get perfect, but it's going it's, it's to be like this. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some downs, but the overall trajectory is going to be up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say... I wouldn't make any changes because it took me a while to get over this because I have a lot of, I felt a lot of guilt from the stuff that I did when I was doing the drug stuff. Like, you know, up until just a couple of years ago, it could still bring tears in my eyes just thinking about the, some of the terrible things that I did. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that wasn't who I am. That was somebody under the influence of drugs. It's still my responsibility because I chose to do the drugs, mm-hmm. but that's not who I really am. And uh, as far as mistakes go, like, have I made mistakes? I, you know, this sounds funny, but I say I haven't made any mistakes. And the reason why I say that, and I say the same thing to you, is because most of the time you make decisions, whatever they are, based on the information that you have at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and the information that you have, maybe taking that job is the best decision. Mm-hmm. Maybe you find out later that job sucked, but you didn't know that before you took it. Mm-hmm. So you made the best decision with the information you had. And when you achieve, when you get other information, you're always free to change your mind and yeah. change directions, you know, because you, you get more information. You're like, okay, this, I shouldn't have taken a left. I should have took a right. Let me go ahead and backtrack and then go the, the way I was supposed to go. You learn from your mistakes. And, uh, and as long as you learn from them and you keep correcting your actions, then I wouldn't feel too bad about them because the truth is, and this is a very abstract concept, but the truth is we're both here right now enjoying our lives and enjoying our day. But the truth is, you know, yesterday, if one of us would have taken a different turn on the road, we might have gotten in a car accident. We might be in the hospital right now. I don't know. I just know this today I'm alive and breathing and the people that I love are doing good. So I'm happy. Like nothing else in the past matters. Mm-hmm. I made mistakes. I learned from them. Uh, I try to teach other people the mistakes that I made, hopefully because they don't make the same mistakes. Yeah. That's it. So it tell my 30 year old self, I tell my 30 year old self, your life is going to be absolutely amazing. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to be amazing. That's great. That's awesome. I think you, you've answered or partially answered my next question already, but I'll ask it anyways. Uh, you you mentioned of you know you know sometimes those those guilt from the past from when you were under the influence you know they come back to you but you still you you kick them off and you say that that is not who you are right now anymore. So I wanted to, I actually wanted to ask you like um how do you you know how do you deal with all these 
um, guilt? How do you deal with all these, you know, feelings of, you know, you are a bad person, you are not good enough or something like that? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how I dealt with it and how I still deal with it. Mm-hmm. When I got arrested, uh, I came to find out I got arrested in Baltimore City. Baltimore County is a different jurisdiction. It's right next door, but it's a completely different jurisdiction. I got arrested in Baltimore City. And there was a Baltimore County robbery detective that was trying to figure out who I was. They just knew, like, there's this white guy robbing stores every single day. And they didn't know who it was. Well, when I got caught, I admitted to all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I went and sat down with this robbery detective for two days, just going through the details of everything that I'd done. And and, uh, fast forward 15 years later, I'm out of prison, have a great life. The cop that arrested me, I found him on Facebook. Oh. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I sent him a message on Facebook and said, hey, you used to be a police officer in the Eastern District of Baltimore City? Mm-hmm. And he didn't respond. And he was probably like, you know, concerned. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So I, a couple weeks later, I wrote him back on Facebook Messenger and I said, listen, I just want to let you know that you saved my life. And I thank you for doing that. Uh, you arrested me on September 9th, 1989 or September 8th, one of those days for a bunch of robberies. And, you know, I went to prison for, you know, a few years and now I'm married and have an amazing son and a great business. And like my life has gone really well and I wouldn't have that if it wasn't for you. So I just want to thank you for saving my life. And, and I'm, and I, and I also said, I'm just, I want you to know that I'm really sorry about the stuff that I did. Like that's, I'm, you know, I'm ashamed of that and embarrassed by it. I'm truly sorry for it. And he ended up, you know, we're friends now. Like, I mean, we met after that and, uh, you know, I've got his phone number in my phone. He's calls me sometimes. I call him. I actually just called him a few months ago because, uh, I joined the volunteer fire department and they wanted some references and I put him down as a reference. The Baltimore County cop that was investigating me, I Googled him. I couldn't find him on Facebook, but I Googled him and I found out he's now an attorney. Uh, He's a criminal defense attorney. And I sent him a text message or an email and I said, you know, uh, Mr. Smith, my name is Mark Owens. You, you know, you may remember me from these robberies. And uh, I just told him the same thing. I said, I just want you to know that I'm truly sorry for, you know, all the stuff that I did. And, you know, my life now is doing well. And and I just want you to know that I'm sorry for all that shit. And uh, he ended up calling me and we went out to lunch. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and it was, it was very surreal. And, uh, but it was important to me that these guys knew that I, like, I regret this stuff. I'm not proud of it. Uh, You know, I'm truly sorry for the stuff that I did. And that's part of what helped me to get over it. And I've also looked for other people that I impacted, you know, in, in maybe I didn't rob them, but maybe I did something else that hurt them mm-hmm. and uh, apologized to a lot of people. And uh, if I, you know, if, if I ran into somebody today, even a drug dealer that I, I, I robbed a bunch of drug dealers, if I ran into one of them, I'd pay him back. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't my drugs to steal, you know, and I robbed them. It was, I shouldn't have done it. Doesn't matter that they were drugs. I shouldn't have done it. And, mm-hmm. uh, so any opportunities that I have to to make amends with people, I I definitely take advantage of that. And even today, like if I do something stupid, which happens, you know, I'll apologize immediately. Like, you know, tell my wife, like, I'm sorry. 
I didn't realize that was going to upset you. Shouldn't have done that. Next time I'll talk to you about it first, you know, whatever it is. And that's that way I keep a clear conscience. Mm. Wow. That's, that's good. Like restitution and reconciliation. That's, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's been very important to me and it's helped me to, to feel even better about myself. And, yeah. you know, cause it's, you know, we've all made mistakes. We, you know, none of us are perfect. We've all done bad things, whether it was you say something mean to your grandmom that hurt her feelings or whatever. And it's like, it's never too late to get back to those people and apologize. And, and by doing that, you free yourself by, by going and calling the cop or the whatever, like you free yourself from that. I mean, I even went for a boss that I ripped off. I stole money from him when I worked at his gas station. I spent a couple months trying to find the guy to pay him back. The only thing I could find out is he sold the gas station like 20 years ago and moved to West Virginia. Can't find the guy. I'd, I'd pay him double. Yeah, I only stole a couple hundred dollars from him, but I shouldn't have done it. And I called up a, a boss I used to work for back in when I was the druggie. And, you know, I just thanked him. You know, he gave me a job. I was actually homeless and he gave me a job. And, uh, and I wanted to, and I had never done anything to screw him over or hurt him, but I just wanted to thank him for providing me with that opportunity. And when I, when I do stuff like that, it just makes me feel better about me. And I think that for most of us, it's the same thing. You know, if you do something wrong, apologize, you'll feel better. If you, somebody did something that helped you, thank them. Yeah. It'll make you feel better. And the better we feel about ourselves, the better we will do. No matter what we do in our life, we'll feel better about ourselves if we, if we do those types of things. Yes. Wow. This is, this is so awesome, Mark. I mean, there's a lot I still have to learn from you, a lot that I'm sure the listeners will also love to, you know, learn from you. So is there like a platform where we could get, get across to you, maybe to ask you questions or to get some mentorship or some advice? You know, email. My email is mark at markowens.com. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I do some real estate. I'm actually in the process of selling most of my rentals. Oh, okay. uh, my wife and I have a condominium in the Cayman Islands. And we have a RV and I'm ready to retire, just travel around the country for a few years in mm. that. And then uh, we're going to buy a house in Florida and spend part of the year in the Cayman Islands, part of the year in Florida, and the rest of the year just traveling around the world. Like, I'm ready to head in that direction now. It's just entering a different phase of my life. Yeah. So uh, my son graduates from school in May, and he's already got a great job lined up. So there's, you know, there's not much holding me back right now other than selling these properties. So that's mm -hmm. the other, other thing I have to do today is I'm, I got a 13-unit apartment building that I'm going to meet some guys at uh, that are interested in buying it. They already have an 18 unit and a 14 unit mm -hmm. that they're buying from me that we already have under contract. Now they want to look at this 13 unit building. So that's uh, that's my big day. The, wow. the two things I had today, this and that, those were the highlights of my day. Wow, that's great. I'm, I'm so happy that this is uh, one of the highlights of your day. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, any any opportunity that I have to help people, you know, to inspire people is is a an opportunity I will not pass up. Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm going to place your email um, in the show notes for this episode. So anyone who is um, interested, we you know just send you an email and maybe you could connect with them and you could answer their questions. Well, thanks, Toby. I appreciate the opportunity. I really yeah. do. Wow, you made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.